Hey, good morning again. Super good to be with you guys this morning. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to John chapter 1. We're walking through John 1 during this Advent season, and we're going to be there again early in the chapter. We'll look at some verses in just a few minutes, but let me We'll share a couple things before we dive into the text about some things that are going on in the life of our church during this Advent season that I think are really exciting for us. And I want to begin this way. Um, for centuries, you, you may be a history buff. I, I love history, but this is a little bit of history for you. But for centuries, the common thought among scientists was that our Earth was the center of our solar system. And the common thought among scientists at that time was that everything revolved around our little planet Earth. That, from our earthly perspective, seemed to make sense. So, in, the, in other words, the idea was everything revolves around us. Well, there was a guy who stepped in. His name was Nicholas Copernicus, and he came up with a radical notion and a radical theory, and he stated a change. And he said, well, I don't think that we, little Earth, are the center of our solar system. He said, I'm pretty sure that we orbit around something much, much bigger than us. And you can imagine during that time, the scientific community had pushback on what Copernicus had to say because the notion and the understanding at that time was simply this, everything revolves around us. Now, if you don't know how the solar system works, everything doesn't revolve around planet Earth, right? We all know that. We revolve around the sun, something much, much greater than us, our little planet Earth. But I tell that story and that little bit of history this morning to make this statement. Our natural tendency is to believe that everything revolves around us. Amen? Our natural tendency in so many ways in our lives is that everything revolves around me, around us. In the Lauren family, they don't know I'm going to do this, so I'm taking a risk here. We have a little saying in our house, when, when a family member says something or does something that's really, really self-centered, which we all do, we have a little saying, someone will always say something like this, well, let me get the globe, which means you're acting like the whole world revolves around you. Now, it's Advent season for us as a church, and one of the reasons we have Advent is simply to reorder and recenter our focus because everything around us continually declares to us the world revolves around you. So as a church, and by the way, we didn't invent Advent, you know that, right? It's been going on for thousands of years as a rhythm of the church, especially around the Christmas season, to reorder our soul, to reorder our perspective, not around me, not around myself, not around even lesser things, which might be good things. The challenge for this Advent season, and we're already a few weeks into it, is this to reorder our perspective, our soul, our hearts around the things that matters most. That's King Jesus. And I said it in the prayer earlier, and I think I've said this year after year. Every time we go into Advent season, my prayer for me, my prayer for you is really this. Nothing will dazzle you more than Jesus Christ. Nothing. Life's filled with good things during the Christmas season. I love a lot of the good things we get to enjoy during the Christmas season. But the prayer is nothing will dazzle us more 
than the Lord Jesus Christ. So as a church, we focus on this thing called Advent, and there's some things we do together. And we've been talking about those just as a reminder. We gather here to worship, and we're walking through John 1. We're looking at the Christmas story from the Gospel of John. Why? To be reminded who Jesus is. To focus our attention, to focus our gaze from the Word of God and be reminded by the Spirit of God over and over, Jesus is greater, Jesus is better, Jesus is. He's the promised Messiah, He's the Word, and this morning we're going to be reminded Jesus Christ is fully God. We want to be reminded to bring us together to worship. We have an Advent reading plan. It's a really helpful tool for you. And this month is really neat because the FTP, the Family Discipleship Plan, is all aligned. So all age groups are reading the same big truth and the same big ideas. And it's a great tool for your family to worship together with this tool, this Advent reading plan. I hope you're using it. Third thing we do together as a church family during this time is we challenge one another to give generously. We challenge one another to give generously. Now, we're a generous church. We've been a generous church this year. But if you remember, around this season, every year, we have something called Christmas Give. And the challenge for all of us during this season, my family included, is as you're planning all of your shopping, all of your spending, let's stop and say as a family, all right, how can we make our largest Christmas gift this year a kingdom gift to make much of Jesus? This year's a little special for us as a church. You guys know this. Uh, for four years, we've had a goal that we would give over and above. This is really exciting. Over and above as a church family, beyond our regular tithes and offerings, to give to go, that's our missions fund, over the last four years, culminating at the end of this month, we would give a million dollars to advance the cause of Christ. Isn't that pretty exciting? So as a church, I just want to quickly update you where we are on that. So that million-dollar goal in the past three, uh, three years and 11 months, we have given $864,402 to advance the mission. That's over and above regular tithes and offerings. That's a glory to God. That's a praise to the Lord of His faithfulness. Amen. Now watch. We still have a ways to go. You say, well, it's just kind of a goal. It is a human goal we've set, but it's something that we can do together as a church. So here's my challenge to you and me. Say, do you think we can raise $135,000 in the next month? I do. We've done it before as a church, and we trust the faithfulness of God. And here's the simple challenge. Way beyond the goal, this is a great opportunity for you and your family to get before the Lord on your face and say, Lord, we want to be a part of something bigger than us. We want to be a part of something our church is doing to give faithfully and give generously. And we hope we make that goal. But even beyond that, we trust that we get to plant churches and send disciples and train leaders and reach the unreached and do those things that we do through give to go So here's the challenge for you and your family. Get alone, get in prayer. How are we going to give over and above during this Christmas season? Now, last thing, and we're going to dive into John 1. We've created a little tool to help you for this. This is the first year we've done this. The Go team is really leading out in this. When you leave today, there's trees out there, and there's a table, and there's one ornament for each family. These are little Go or Give to Go ornaments. You take this, you put it on your tree. Attached to it are different partners that we have around the world that you're giving goes to support and fun. And this is a super cool tool for you. Put on your tree. Hopefully, you'll do it year after year. It's an opportunity for your family to gather and pray 
for some of our partners around the world that are advancing the gospel. And to be reminded during this Christmas season, Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. How can we give generously? So grab one of these on your way out. There's one per family. Uh, we have plenty out there just as a reminder and a tool during this season to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, advancing the message of Jesus. All right? So you guys ready? John 1? Woo! Three of you. All right. John chapter 1. Here we go. We're walking through the Christmas story from the Apostle John's perspective in the Gospel of John. Now, I know you know this. You've heard from... Pastor Paul, the last few weeks, but just to kind of remind you and get you up to speed, the Gospel of John was written by the Apostle John who walked with Jesus for three and a half years. He was an eyewitness to the life and the glory of Jesus, and it's important for us to remember when John is writing, he's writing, yes, to a Jewish audience, and he's also writing to a Gentile or a Greek audience. So a lot of the things he's going to say take a little bit of explanation of why did you say it quite that way, John? I want to help us with that in the first five verses. So I'm just going to read the first five verses again, give a little explanation, then we'll give a big truth and some big ideas that are going to flow out of that this morning. All right, John 1, verse 1. In the beginning. Let's stop right there for just a second. Pastor Mike, you're not going to get very far this morning, are you? The other gospel writers in the Christmas narrative take you back to the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. John, if you don't realize, goes all the way back to the beginning. Say, way before there was a baby born in Bethlehem, there was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now stop right there just a minute. If you don't know this, maybe you do. You can circle that word, word. In the original language, it's the word logos. Why do you choose that description here, John? Of all the things you could say to describe Jesus at the beginning of this gospel, why do you use the word logos? Well, he's writing to two audiences. To the Greeks... The word logos meant this. They had an understanding of that word logos. Here's how they understood it. Logos was the ordering principle of the universe. The Greeks hear the word logos and they believe that there's this ordering principle of the universe. It's this impersonal force kind of thing. John takes this word and says, no, no, no. The ordering principle of the universe is not an it. It's a he. And his name is Jesus. To the Jews, when they heard the idea of word, they, in the Old Testament, over and over and over in the Old Testament scriptures, they heard the phrase, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord comes in power. In other words, they understood it to be the ultimate and divine revealer of God's wisdom and power. The ultimate revealer of God's wisdom and power. When the Jews heard that word, John takes that and puts it together and says, let me introduce you to the true word. It's not an it. It's not an impersonable revealer of God's word. It's the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. And he's always been. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, what does he do? Not only who is he, what does he do? John says, all things were made through him. This one that he's introducing and describing here is the agent of all of creation. How much of creation? Verse 3, and without him not anything was made that has been made. 
Not an atom, not an electron, not a cell in the universe exists apart from the creative power of Jesus, the Son of God. Everything that was made has been made through him. John goes on and says even more than that, in him was life. Life itself was found in him. And the life was the light of men. And John says, and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome this light shining in the darkness. In five quick verses, he's introduced to you and me, Jesus the Son in all of his glory. Now what I want to do is, again, I'm going to give you a big truth and a few big ideas that flow out of this that I think are going to help and challenge us this morning. So here's your big truth that's going to guide us this morning is this, Jesus is fully God. It's in your FTP. You can walk through this with your kids. You say, I have a hard time explaining all this. There's some great resources for you. I have a hard time explaining all this. There's some great resources. We can walk through this together. But here's the big truth that Jesus is fully God. Now, the Greeks who heard this and heard John 1, they had a real problem with this. The Jews who heard this, and we're going to look at this in just a few minutes, they wanted to kill Jesus over the claim of being God. There have been cults and sects and groups throughout history that have taken this and they've distorted the idea and they've tried to make Jesus less than who he really is. You come to this phrase here, he was with God and he was God, and you have to ask the question, okay, John, how in the world could he be with God and be fully God at the same time? What does that mean? See if we can tackle that really quickly. John Piper helps. He says this. There have always been various groups who have resisted the mystery implied by the word was with God and the word was God. Those phrases. They say you can't have it both ways. So these groups throughout the ages have tried to escape this truth by sometimes even rewriting the Bible. There's a translation floating around called the New World Translation. By the way, that group may knock on your door, the Jehovah's Witness, and want to hold out to you the Bible. It looks like our Bible. It's not the same Bible. They distort John 1 to try to deal with this tension here. How can he be with God and God at the very same time? John Piper goes on and says, but... What this verse teaches is the one we know as Jesus Christ before he was made flesh was God and the Father was also God. There was a plurality of persons and a singular God at the same time. This is a part of the biblical revelation we know as the Trinity. This is why we worship Jesus Christ and say with Thomas in John 20, 28, as Thomas says, he says to Jesus, my Lord and my God, my Lord, and my God. Jesus is fully God. And within the Trinity, there is a perfect harmony and a perfect unity of three persons making up that triune God. You say, help me understand that, Pastor Mike. I'm doing the best I can. That's what the Bible holds out as true. And we worship our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. John makes that clear here. Now out of that come a few big ideas that I want to chase this morning. Jesus is fully God. Here's one of the big ideas that John chases here in these first few verses is this. Jesus has always existed as God. Not only is Jesus fully God, he's always been fully God. 
There are various teachings and there are various groups that you might encounter that want to say, oh no, there was this process by which Jesus, a very good person, became God. He turned into God and the Bible totally refutes that and says, no, Jesus is God of very God and he has always been God. Look at verse 1 again. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God now you don't have to be too observant to realize there's a phrase that happens over and over in those first few verses it's this little phrase in the beginning you say that sounds really familiar to another part of the Bible it sounds like Genesis 1 1 that's intentional John is taking you all the way back to the creative story and saying this in the beginning Some gospel writers start with the birth of Jesus. John goes all the way back to creation itself. At the very beginning of this time-space creation that you and I know, guess what? Jesus was. And guess what else? Jesus was God, a very God. He's always been. Before there was time, before there was space, before there was matter, there was the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. John says he was. The word highlights the fact that when creation was brought into being, Jesus was. The other three Gospels, by the way, focus primarily on the humanity of Jesus, and they all have a genealogy that take you back to Abraham or Adam. We just studied that in Matthew. There is no genealogy in the Gospel of John because John takes you all the way back to the beginning. He has always been God of very God. Regarding his humanity, there was a genealogy. Regarding his deity, there is no genealogy. In the beginning, Jesus was the Word, the Messiah. He was with God. Jesus was God Almighty. Now, that's hugely important for us. I I want you to understand, Jesus never denied that in his ministry. Some want to say, well, why wasn't Jesus more clear about that reality in his ministry? Let me give you a few examples. John chapter 8, Jesus is uh, in a brouhaha, if you will, with the Pharisees, and they're at odds with one another. They say to Jesus, they're talking about Abraham, and he says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, Jesus says, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews come back to him and they say, you're not yet 50 years old. What do you mean you've seen Abraham? Listen to what Jesus says of himself. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. A clear declaration of Jesus' own deity taking the covenant name of God himself. And you say, well, do you think that's really what he meant? That's sure how the Jews heard him because look at the next verse. So they picked up stones to throw at him. You know why? For blasphemy. He's calling himself to be God. It's always been God. Now, okay, Pastor Mike, I, I, I get this. I, I'm wrestling with, so what am, I, what am I to do with that this morning? See, the hope and the goal for me and for your pastors and, again, for our elders is, again, during this season that this time calls us to renewed and invigorated worship of our King There's a tension I feel every time we go through Advent, and there's a tension I feel even this morning as we read John 1.1. The majority of people in this room, you've read John 1. The majority of people in this room, you probably have some of it memorized. It's familiar with you. There is a great danger with familiarity. 
And that danger can hinder our dazzling, overwhelming worship of the incredible truth that's being declared here about this one that we worship at Christmas, this one who stepped out of eternity past forever and ever had existed and steps into time and takes on flesh and was born of a virgin and was born in a barn for heaven's sakes. God Almighty God and brings us to worship of his greatness. The prayer for us this season is during this Advent season, we will worship Jesus is God. He has always been God. He is the eternal God who exists outside of time. He is the infinite God who has all power. He is the sovereign God who controls every molecule of the universe. He is the humble God who stepped out of eternity and took on human skin. And the prayer is, even through some of our familiarity in the Bible Belt, we will see him and see him afresh, and we will worship him afresh and say, Hallelujah, what a Savior. God with us, Emmanuel. Pray as we read through John 1, not only that we see him for who he is, we are overwhelmed with the reality that God has chosen God has chosen to make himself known to you. See, by the way, the way the world operates, you would never know who God is if he hadn't chosen to make himself known to you. John 1 is a declaration of immense grace that the God of the universe has chosen in grace to make himself known to you that you could know him. This Christmas season, rejoice that you can know personally the God of the universe. By the way, because he has come to you. One of the messages of John 1. And then thirdly is this reality, and this was gripping of me personally this week, and I hope it's gripping of you. If he is God, and if he is who he says he is here in John chapter 1, then he is deserving of our complete and full attention, focus, and the entire purpose and meaning of our lives. He is worthy of all of us. He is worthy of every part of you. He is worthy of your complete obedience and attention and affection if he is the God he declares himself to be in John 1.1. Paul David Tripp said it this way. I read this this week. He said, the coming of the sovereign Savior means the end of self-rule and a welcome submission to the plans and purposes of the one who is greater than us. Our Lives do not revolve around us. We are created. There is order to our lives when our lives are built and revolve around one infinitely greater than you and me. Let's worship our King. Amen. Jesus is fully God. Jesus has always existed as God. Now let me give you a couple more big ideas and we'll be finished. John goes on in verse 3, and he makes another startling declaration about the Son. He says, all things, and that right there ought to get our attention, not some things, not, all things were made through him. Jesus is the very agent of all of creation. The instrument by which God creates everything is through Jesus, the Son. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made 
that was made. Here's your second big idea. Jesus created everything and keeps creation alive. Jesus created everything. And he keeps creation alive. Again, you can walk through this as a family and that FDP, use this, talk about this, talk about this over dinner. Such great truth here. Let me give you some ideas of what's going on. Jesus created everything and keeps creation alive. John again ties his, his presentation back to creation. John's going all the way back to the created order. See, the Greeks wrestled with the idea... We, we wrestle with existence and what existence is and what it means. And John says... By the way, your very existence was brought into being by Jesus the Son. The Jew, when they hear this, they, they know the God of the Old Testament. The Jew that was familiar with the God of the Old Testament, they've read over and over and over, verse after verse after verse, of how the Bible declares God to be the creator of everything. If you read your Bible like we did back in 2020, going through it again, over and over there's this time. God is the creator of all things. Let me just give you a couple reminders of this. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Exodus 20, in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. 1 Chronicles 16.26, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Isaiah, or Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all of their host. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Isaiah 40, verse 26, Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created all these things. He brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and because of his strong power, not one of these stars is missing. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. So I say all that to remind you, all of that Old Testament background is familiar to the Jewish mind. And then they hear this testimony of John, and then their mind understands, God is the creator of all things. And then John declares, yes, it is Jesus the Son who is the agent of all things, unmistakably declaring Jesus to be God. The creator of everything. It is Jesus who brought everything into existence and holds all things together. Just ponder on that for a few minutes this morning. Again, as a family, walk through these truths and these passages and have your kids just think about the glory of creation and all its expanse. Let me give you a quick illustration, and there's a thousand of them. All right, I'm going to give you this one. When you think about the massive nature of creation, we live in the Milky Way galaxy, right? If you didn't know that, get a little science this morning. Milky Way galaxy, I think we've got an image. Yeah, there it is. That's, uh, I didn't take that picture. I just want you to know. That. It's the Milky Way galaxy. And here's some things we know about the Milky Way galaxy that we live in. It's fascinating to me. Milky Way galaxy is 12,000 light years across. Now, we can't even get our feeble minds around 12,000 light years, but that's the way scientists measure distance because it's so vast. They say 12,000 light years. Light travels in one year 5.8 trillion miles. From one side to the other, 5.8 trillion times 12,000. What is that? I don't know. I can't even think of enough zeros. It is massive. Right? Get the idea. More than we could even imagine. 
Scientists tell us that within this one galaxy, the Milky Way, there are something like 200 billion stars in one galaxy, our Milky Way galaxy. It's vast. This is more than our minds can even comprehend. The number of stars is more than we can even count. That's one Milky Way galaxy. What's this? You know how many galaxies scientists say there are in the known universe? Over 200 billion of them. So, Pastor Mike, that's a lot of numbers, that's a lot of billions, that's a lot of zeros. I can't even get my mind around it. That's the point. You can't. The vastness of creation itself is so glorious, our feeble minds can't even get our understanding right. And that's just one example. There's infinite examples. Why are you saying all that? Genesis 1-3, in its literal translation, is this. And God said, light be, and light was. Light be, and light was. At the word of the Lord Everything that is came into existence. And John takes that in John 1.1 and says, the agent of creation that brought all of that into existence is Jesus the Son himself. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Created all things. He made all things. John goes on, and I love this next part. He says in verse 3, all things were made through him. And he doesn't stop there. And he says, and without him, not a single thing that was made. The big idea is this. Jesus created everything, and he keeps creation alive. In other words, the Bible is very clear through the New Testament that it's not this idea of deism that, okay, God created everything, and he kind of spins it into motion, and then he steps back and just watches his, you know, his creation. No, no, no. He is a continual active agent in holding everything together. What holds the universe together? What, what holds your cells together? What holds the planets in their orbit right now? Say, so, yes, there are different physical reasons for all of that, but what's the principle behind all of it? Jesus himself. He holds all things together. Where do you get that? Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Paul says this, For by him all things were created, in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones and dominions, rulers and authority. By the way, the things we can see and the things we can't see. The things in this realm and the things in the spiritual realm. Create all of them. All things were created through him, and I love this, for him. You exist for him. And then verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That is an extremely comforting reality this morning for you and me. Who holds all things together? Who is the perfect, constantly one, sustaining all of creation together? Jesus the Son is the one who brought all things into existence. And the Bible says he is currently active in creation, holding all things together. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let me illustrate that for you, just, just kind of for fun this morning. Think about all the dynamics that are being held together in the universe right now in one moment and the power of the sun to hold all of those infinite dynamics together in one moment in the universe right now. Jesus is doing that. So let me give you an illustration. Does anybody here struggle with multitasking? Anybody? Yeah, I do. So here's a real illustration in our house. My wife knows if she sends me upstairs to get something, it's a real stretch to ask me to get two things at the same time when I walk upstairs, right? Can any of y'all relate to that? In fact, if Jennifer sends me upstairs to get two things, she's banking that I get 50% of them. That's, that's just the way it works. 
I struggle with multitasking. I marvel at how some people can put a massive meal together and they've got so many things going at once and got this pot and this bread, all this stuff. Listen, when dad at home cooks the meal, it's toast, partially burned, and if you're really lucky, you might get a scrambled egg. That's that's the only things I can sustain at one time, right? I struggle with multitasking. So do you. Our minds struggle to hold multiple things together at one moment. You get that? So think about this reality at any given moment. Christ our King is sovereignly sustaining, overseeing, directing, and holding everything in the universe together. Every electron in the universe holds together at the power of His Word. Every cell in your body is sustained and held together by the power of His Word. Every ocean tide, every planet in its orbit, the galaxies in their place are all sustained and held together by the power of His Word. Jesus sustains the creation. And he holds it together. Colossians 1.17, he's before all things and in him all things hold together. Hebrews 1.3, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Psalm 75.3 says, and this is a great verse to put on your refrigerator to memorize. Psalm 75.3, When the earth totters, And all its inhabitants, it is I, says the Lord, who keeps steady its pillars. Do you love that? Pastor Mike, what am I to do with this, this Christmas season? Worship. Worship. Be reminded that the God that we are worshiping, when it may seem that your world and the world we live in is tottering, and that's the news reports we get constantly of how everything is coming apart. By the way, the world is unwinding, we know that, but the world will only completely unwind when Jesus determines it's time. He is holding it together. So when we see the world tottering and we see what seems to be the world coming apart and when you in your day-to-day momentary life look around and it seems like everything is coming apart and I don't know how to hold it together and I don't know what to do, run to your Savior, Jesus, who holds all things together by the power of His Word. Amen. Listen, I'm just convinced, and I pray this is true for us, that Christians ought to celebrate this time of year different than the world. There ought to be a hope and a steadiness to our lives that the world doesn't have and the world doesn't understand it because our King brought everything into existence and He is currently holding all things together by the word of His power. Worship this King and make this King known to a world that needs that hope. Worship this King. So Jesus is fully God. He's always existed as God. Jesus keeps He's created everything and keeps creation alive. Final big idea and we'll be finished. John goes on. He makes one other incredible observation about Jesus the Son. Look in verse 3 and I'll just read these three verses here again. He says in verse 3, All things were made through him and without him not anything was made that was made. Verse 4, In him was life. I don't know about you, but that's shouting ground right there because apart from Jesus, we have no life. 
In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. We'll talk about that in just a minute. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's your third big idea. Jesus alone is the source of new life and spiritual sight. See, this this passage here by John is really an introduction to the entire Gospel of John. And if you know anything about the Gospel of John, John is known for key words that he uses throughout the Gospel. John is known as the writer of the Gospel writer of life and the Gospel writer of light. He uses those words throughout the chapters of the Gospel of John. When he uses the idea of life, which he does 36 times in the Gospel... Sometimes it's referring to physical life that Jesus imparted at creation. For example, we know from Genesis 2 that the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. There's that principle, this physical life. Often, most often, when John uses this principle of life, it's the spiritual condition of the human soul. John 3.15, whoever believes in him, Jesus, may have eternal life. John 17.3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one and only God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Life is in the Son. Then he introduces this word light. He says the life was the light of men. The concept of light throughout the New Testament, especially in the Gospel of John, is this concept of truth. Of purity, of holiness, of freedom, as opposed to darkness, which is falsehood and lies and corruptions and spiritual bondage and those two in opposition to one another. That he says, Jesus is life, Jesus brings light. Say, so, okay, what do I do with that? Well, in this, you have to get your mind around this morning that John is giving us a diagnosis of the world, and it's this we live in a world characterized by death and soul separation from the Creator. Our natural state is death. Every human being is born needing life. And the pursuit of every human being in one way or another in some form or another, is seeking this life of soul that every human being realizes they don't have it in and of themselves. They're deceived and think they can find it in themselves. They think they can find life in all these other means. The Bible declares there is one soul means of this eternal life, and it's Jesus Christ himself. He is the only source of life. Amen? There is no other. He also gives us a diagnosis by saying the light has come into the world, that our world is characterized by a darkness. We live in a world of deception, which is enslaving, corrupting the effects of sin. We live in a world that is deceived. And there is a light that comes into into this darkness. In him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. So what do you mean shines in the darkness? Why does he say it that way? Here's something I want you to hear this morning. You need to be real clear on this. Parents, you need to be real clear on this. Students, we need to be real clear on this. Life is not found within ourselves. Truth is not found within ourselves. 
It has shown into the darkness. It has come in the person of Jesus Christ, the truth. You live in a sea and a world today that is declaring to you, if you'll just look to, it, to yourself, if you'll just trust your own heart, you'll just follow your own emotion, you'll just follow whatever it is, in you is life. In you is truth. And John declares that is categorically false. Light has come and it is Jesus. It is outside of you. Not as in you. It doesn't exist in you. Me, I'm born in darkness. I'm born without life. But the good news is God sent his son and brings light and brings life. And Jesus is the only means of light and life. Amen. Let me give you an illustration of this and we're finished. The rest of the Gospel of John, and we're obviously not studying John. We may do that in a few years, I hope. But John, throughout the rest of his Gospel, takes what he introduces in John chapter 1, and he gives illustrations of that. He declares that Jesus is life. And he gives illustrations of that in John chapter 11. And the team can come on up and just begin to play. We're going to move into a time of response this morning. But he gives illustrations of this. For example, in John chapter 11, Jesus shows up when his friend Lazarus was dead. You know that story. I won't go into all the details. Lazarus has died. Jesus shows up four days later. Martha comes to Jesus and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus says, your brother will live again. And Martha says, hold on. I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he died, he shall live. Jesus is the giver of life. And to prove who he was, he, rose, he raised up Lazarus from the dead. Jesus and Jesus alone gives life. There was a blind man that came to him in John chapter 9. The blind man came and said, as long as I'm in the world, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Apart from me, you're walking around in darkness. Jesus says, having said this, he spit on the man's eyes, made mud with saliva, and the man was given sight. And Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. And he is the only light of the world, piercing into the darkness. Final illustration, and we're finished. When the disciples were told, <laughs> Jesus shattered their world, and he said, hey, guys, I'm going away. He said, I'm leaving, and this was before the cross, and they didn't understand all that he meant. He said, I've been with him for three and a half years, and he said, I'm going away. And one of the disciples said, hey, Jesus, where, where are you going? We want to come. What's the way? Show us the way. And you know this verse, one of the most well-known verses in John. John 14, 5, Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life I'm the light of the world and I'm the only source of life and John the writer for chapter after chapter in his gospels gives illustration after illustration of what he declared to be true in John chapter 1 and then he finishes with this and we'll be finished last two verses in the gospel of John are this now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not even written in this book a whole lot more than he did that you don't even have written down but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. He alone is the source of light, and He alone is the source of life. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Would you bow your head with me for just a minute?
going to stand and sing and worship in song in just a minute. But before we do that, I pray you're worshiping right there in your seat. That worship may be a word of praise. It may be a word of thanksgiving. It may be a word of confession. Lord, I've let all kinds of things temporarily dazzle me more than you. You may be here this morning, and if you're real honest, you don't have that life that only Jesus offers it. You've been looking for it in a thousand different places. This morning may be the morning for the first time in your life you repent and place faith in Jesus, the only one who can give life. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for King Jesus. Lord, I pray that you guide us, empower us by your spirit to worship, crying, Abba, Father. Pray for anyone here this morning who's wandering around in darkness. This morning, by faith, they will see the light of life that is Jesus and run to you in faith and repentance and be made new. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.